I'm always wearing my face face material. You're you you. <laughs> I'll find a mask around here. Yeah. You're looking. I got a face made for a mask. You're looking quarantined. Well, you know that's what I would be. You know you quarantined. You have one of the best quarantine looks. See, if I grow up my hair out, it just looks like somebody woke the guy who's on trial as a serial killer too early in the morning. That's what it just doesn't do. The mine looks. If I took a hat off it, that's what it would look like. Well, there you go. See, I need a hat. Let me. I, you I need a hat. hat. That's it. Somewhere. Right. You know, a hat. We'll get you a hat. I can get you a hat for your birthday. <laughs> Although you just had your birthday, I'll get you well, one. Now, I I was thinking about if that subject came up. Um, we're not going to talk about specific numbers because you're nine days younger than me. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'll. Respectful. <laughs> no, it's. It's uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, I'm looking at the screen. Um, you you get to an age, and and it's like, for some reason, man. I I draw this lottery. You know, there's like they always say if you go in, forty thousand of these goes wrong, and I'm the winner. And and I just did that with cataract surgery. Oh, cool. Uh, and they say, oh yeah, yeah. Well, one. One in 40 of these things, you know, they'll end up a little funny. Well, I have double vision in this eye. Oh, shit. After, yeah. So they gave me these goofy glasses to, it corrects it, but it's like, you know, if I have both eyes open, um, it, it's it's pretty, it's good. But if I do this, like if I shoot a rifle or something, so if I do this, I'm seeing yeah. you in stereo. I just want you to okay, know. Okay, well, well, let's keep rifles a little, a little bonus. out of this. This is guitar wing. It's not rifle wing, nor is it, who is that guy? I forget. Yeah. <laughs> Simony Sim. Simony Sim. Yeah, but everybody we know is actually like that now. <laughs> I, wonder, I, just, I just did that and automatically winced with my left eye. I wonder if, if we're left and right wincing, like we're left and right-handed. Wow, I never thought of that. You like know? if you go, if you go, hey, you know, do you do it with your left eye? I uh, no. What a terrific waste of ones and zeros yeah, I've already really started cool. here. Really cool. <laughs> Rusty, Rusty, I, I'd like to introduce myself. Okay, you've got to be Troy. I am Troy. Welcome, sir. Thank you for joining us. Hey, you know, I'm thrilled uh, and and amazed. Um, this is I am probably the wankeriest um wanker you've had on on the wank i've watched many of the wanks and uh wow. the wankeriest wanker on wank that is yeah that's it's, the winner. it's like my my name ends with my name starts with z or something and you finally got down there i don't know you know are we on tulsa time right now we are on tulsa time we're actually on jenks time uh it's a it's the southern edge of tulsa and it's a little town called jenks j-e-n-k-s jenks wow yeah so how about that what why <laughs> why why are you there because <laughs> dinks stupid I, oh i see uh <laughs> so why why'd they name it jenks? um well after 36 years in nashville and uh, uh, some health challenges and uh, some very 
substantial changes in the music business. Um, I think I'm going out on you. Um, and, and very, uh, very substantial changes in the music business. Um, we have a lot of family here. We have no family there. Um, and uh, the music business is very different mm. from the one that I came to love. Uh, I got there in 84, the very early days of 84. Wow. And I got to see some wonderful things. And I got, I got a lot of, uh, I just, I just fell into a lot of situations that, that were some of the old school things that Nashville used to be. And there was some cool stuff. I mean, I remember in the nineties, you know, Vince Gill would come out with something like a record, like when I call your name and you'd just be the first time you heard it, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, right. That is perfect sculpture. That's perfect. You know, and um, and it's it's a different town. It's a busy town. Um, we have family here, um, a lot of close family, and uh, we had no family there. And uh, you know, why not? Yeah. So makes sense. Well, we should get before we go any further. We should get Bruce to introduce you um, to our listeners because they're all like, "Who the hell's this guy?" Yeah, this this, this, like hell this guy. Well, let me tell you, folks. Uh, I've been friends with this man on Facebook. I guess was how we first kind of got to know yeah. each other. We have a lot of uh, common interests, and I, who's this guy? I loved his opinions. He was a vituperative, vitriolic, and uh, very pissed off, irritable motherfucker. And I just love that about him. <laughs> but he always told the truth, and you know, you agreed with him, even though you hated you that you agreed with him. One of those kind of guys, yeah. you know, like that. Or, that you, that, or that you loved, that you disagreed with me. That, yeah, could, that, that uncle that pissed you off, that yeah. was nine days older than you, which is <laughs> do that kind of math. That's some Bring it up again. Yeah. Troy, I'll bet you dollars to donuts he brings that up again. <laughs> nine days. And so, and so I just said, boy, who's this guy? I like this guy. And we kind of got to know each other. Then I went out to Nashville to the Chet Atkins Appreciation Society. Uh, yep, yep. And we got a chance to hang out and play some. And then um, we just became best buds. And yeah. uh, and he's like opened the keys to the Nashville kingdom for us. I mean, he's introduced us to a lot of people that I've always wanted to know. And his name, he's played with everybody, but he's not only played uh. with everybody, you know, I'm just going to throw a name here like Chet Atkins around and stuff. But, um, he also was a journalist, world-class journalist that wrote about it, and a photographer wow. who shot photo photographs about it. So we're talking to a guy who's got like an immense depth of understanding. You know, we're just wanking. He's like, he's like <laughs> taking it all the way down to the stem. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this is Rusty Russell, everybody. Right. And, yeah. and, and that, we have birthdays. That, that might be one, one way to describe it. <laughs> so there you have it. That's, that's about so, all I'm going to give well, you. That's very kind. I, I just, Rusty, I just left Nashville myself. I, I have a house there near Grunz Guitars. I have a house. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were visiting there. We live in Los Angeles, but we were visiting our house there. And I love Nashville. It is such an amazing city. It was so green and lush and beautiful. The weather was amazing. The people are beautiful and friendly, as opposed to here in Nashville. I'm um, here in Los Angeles. Well, I'll just shoot you. Um, <laughs> not really, but it's um, it's a very 
different place to be in Nashville compared to Los Angeles. They're it just, is. They're friendly. Uh, they're really friendly out there. And uh, They are compared to Los Angeles. I'll give it that. In my <laughs> limited experience with Los Angeles. Um, the thing is, um, I'm trying to find an analogy, but I'll just, I guess, just say it. If you were, if you were there in the 80s through the 90s, um, the level of friendliness, the level of musical openness, the level of um, uh, camaraderie, and 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 still the vestiges of the history that were there um, are are not anymore, mm. and so it's it's sort of like. Uh, if, if you moved into a house and you thought, wow, this is really cool, but somebody had been there 20 years and they knew it when it was, you know, it, it, you can't wear it. Um, uh, uh, when I was on, on Broadway and you parked on Broadway without a meter, there were no meters on Broadway. Wow. Um, I think my, somebody's internet, you know, it was, uh, it was a very different thing. Um, uh, I and, and that's great. It's great what it is now because the young people. Uh, I have a, a a kid there that I, I really admire who got there two or three years ago, and I'm going to name check him at some point in this. Uh, well, I'm name check him now. His name is Nicky V Hines, and he's everything I'm not. He's a good player. <laughs> he's he's stupidly good looking. Um, He's, uh, he's young. Um, I think he went to Musicians Institute or something. Then he did a bunch of cruise ship work for several years. And he came to town with both barrels loaded. He's totally ready. Uh, I've said this to a lot of people. I've never seen anyone come to town uh, and be as ready as Nicky Hines is. Uh, and, and it's his kind of town. Hmm. And it's not my kind of town. Right. Now. And, and it, that doesn't mean I don't have a lot of love for it. It doesn't mean I don't have a lot of respect for it. I'm not going to sit here and sh you know, shit all over it and say, oh, it's a crappy place. It's not the place that I came to love. So it doesn't matter how good it is. Mm. Um, Joe Bonamassa, I think, uh, has called it uh, deep fried Vegas. <laughs> and, yeah. and the downtown area is, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's just tourists. They are tending to wipe out a lot of really historical, amazing, like there's an apartment building that just appeared overnight in the last days that we were there, um, seemingly, um, not far from Gruen's, uh, and uh, on Division Street, and they wiped out sound, uh, sound shop, yeah, they wiped out the studio where Paul McCartney had recorded, where, um, uh, I mean, just, hundreds and hundreds of years gone. gone yep. and they put up a sign that says such and such apartments on music row it's three miles from music row they're just selling that mm -hmm. you know so i i will you can ask questions or i can just rattle um this is what it was like yeah. in january of 84 i walked down 16th avenue the first week i was there because i had heard i didn't know a soul 
uh, I knew Terry McMillan's name and that's it. And uh, I had heard that 16th Avenue is where the studios were. Okay. Well, I want to be a studio player. So I literally walked down the street, knocking on doors and people would say, Oh, well, hi. Yeah. Well, um, thanks. Leave your name and so on. Uh, I knocked on this one door. It's up on a second floor, a little studio, the frog pond studio. I knocked on, hi, I'm a new guitar player in town. Just kind of trying to get around. I didn't know shit from apples, man. And the guy said, uh, Oh really? What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> And I had a session. I came in and did three overdubs the next day. That's how it used to be. Kept walking down the street, went into Monument Records, and I knocked. I went up to the, the desk, and there's a lady in a beehive hairdo. You know, they used to have receptionists. And uh, she said, can I help you? And I said, yeah. Um, somebody was telling me that Charlie McCoy uh, was running this label now. Just... I wanted to know if there's any way I could leave my name and maybe talk to him sometime. She leans around the wall and she goes, Hey, Charlie, there's a guitar player out here wants to meet you. He took me to fucking lunch. He took me to lunch. We're sitting there at lunch, having sandwiches, and he, oh, just a minute. There's a couple of guys playing pinball at a pinball machine. It's Waylon Jennings and Tom Paul Glazer. And he just, hey, how are you doing? It was just, it was so colloquial and, um, and a, like a secret little world. Mm. Um, and if you saw that, how it is now is not, not the same. And, uh, and I'm thrilled for the people who are there and are digging it. And I'm thrilled for me that I got to see the stuff and I'm thrilled that I get to be around family and, you know, I did a gig last night. I did it. Played with uh, Shelby and, and Janet last night, Bruce. Yeah. Wow. So you got to play. I don't know. He's talking about Shelby. Bruce has Janet nodded Baker. off. Yeah. They're amazing musicians. Yeah. Also, I've played about uh, Shelby's actually on some of my records. Uh, yeah. Shelby Iker. Brilliant fiddle player. Yeah. Oh, man. He just. Yeah, wonderful guy. So anyway, um, that's the thing. And Bruce alluded to, you know, uh, for some reason, I started writing. Um, I know why. I was doing a five-nighter. Uh, I was glad to be off the road. My first gig there was subbing for Jimmy Caps, the illustrious, he's on Stand By Your Man. He's on He Stopped Loving Her Today. He was, I called him the king of Inga Jinga because he's the guy doing Inga Jinga. Inga. He's it right you know he passed we lost him last year rest his soul um his first session in town in 58 or whatever he goes in and hank garland's sitting there he's the second you know so jimmy goes way back but they did they did um a morning radio show on wsm every morning for 37 years or something and he was the guitar player on it and he he'd get calls to do well. I got an Alabama record at ten, and at two o'clock I got a Hank Jr. record, and I you know, and he'd call me like eleven o'clock at night. Oh, Rusty, uh, can you do the show? And so seven thirty in the morning, I'm trying to so stuff like that. Um, he got me a gig. He and Brent Rowan got me a gig with Louise Mandrell, which is like. Just shoot me now. Um, wow. 
it was very fluffy. <laughs> and they paired us out on the road a lot with Ricky Skaggs's band with had Ray Flack and 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 Bruce Bowden. I mean that band. And we'd go out there and, and twirling and then everybody's kind of looking at us and I'm going, and then Skaggs would come out and just kill it. So I left that gig doing a house gig. This guy would come in and just get drunk or in a bicycle, man, every night. Just, I mean, five o'clock or six o'clock when we started, I, he'd just get snot slinging drunk in about 30 minutes. Turns out he was the editor of Nashville Magazine. I pitched him a little, hey, I write. I, I always had written. And I wrote a little funny thing and he published it. And he published another and another. So I started writing bios for labels and I started writing a column for Music Row Magazine. And then for about 10 years, I was the Nashville editor for a guitar player magazine. Wow. So I got to meet um, a bunch of nice people and wonderful. I'll tell you, won't shut up and save the show and, and make some good jokes. Um, get this, Bruce. The first week I'm in town, I'm, I'm I go into a music store. I stumbled on a music store, corner music, when it really was on a corner. And buying some strings, and I'm like, sounds like kind of a big dog where I came to. I was one of the guys you'd call. How did Rusty? Rusty. And, uh, so Rusty. I, and, uh, Excuse me, Rusty. I'm gonna oh. st I'm gonna stop you there. We're having yes. really we're having really bad internet problems. I'm wondering if I should cancel this call and call you guys back to get a better internet connection. Let's try that. Let's try it. All right. Hang on. I need to go back to the bar. That's so. only two beats. That's only two beats. Um, so what were you saying, Rusty? You that's what my cardiologist said. So um, that's only two beats. Uh, so at this music store, and I'm you know buying strings and trying to be cool. I said, "So uh, who are the cats, man? Who should I see in town?" You know, been there like a week maybe. And they said, well, go down to the Stagecoach Inn, you know, Stagecoach Lounge, and I hear Don Kelly's band. And uh, I said, okay. He said, they got a kid that's, that's pretty good. And uh, so the next night or so, I go down there, and it's this just round building, probably from the 50s, that it, no, it's square. That one's square. The, the later Stagecoach was round. Um, just obviously built as a bar, I guess fairly large bar i walk in and the guitar player is brent mason that's the first guitar player i heard <laughs> in nashville and if you can imagine they played six nights a week five hours a night wow if you can imagine brent mason with chops from playing five nights or uh, six nights or whatever five hours something it was Rob Hayjakis on on fiddle, um, and and Don Kelly's band from Brent on, uh, Troy Lancaster, uh, Guthrie Trap, um, Johnny Highland, Johnny Highland, yeah, um, just on and on and on. Uh, but that was the first guitar player I, I I heard in Nashville. I walk in and here's Brent Mason going, and I thought, shit, I wonder if I can get the deposit back on that apartment, man, because this is no place where I thought everybody's going to play like that. Um, but so 
yeah, it was good old days and it was fun. I, I love Nashville and I have tremendous respect for Nashville, but it, it's not a place for me. Uh, I did what I wanted to. I, I wrote for a lot of magazines. Um, for some reason, I got an interest in photography and for 10 years, that's about all I did. I, I was, uh, I shot for Getty images. I got to ride in vice presidential motorcades and, wow. you know, um, it took a lot of album covers. Uh, and you know, it was shot for the Tennessee a lot. Um, and yeah, um, that was cool, but I had some health things. Uh, we won't, don't, don't need to go into those. Um, but definitely shallow into the gene pool here. You know, I've, I've had some stuff. Major, major like, okay, you know, you look at the doctor and you go, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live, right? And the doctor says, we're going to do everything we can, those type of things. Wow. Um, and so it, it really gets you thinking about, you know, shit like priorities and family and what am I doing? And I'm, you know, I'm not going to go on the road anymore. That's, I've seen Europe. I've seen most of the United States have, you know, played the Astrodome. I played Austin city limits. Okay. I don't need, you know, um, I wish I had made more of a mark as a player, you know, and, and not so many side, you know, I spent six years. All I did was play bass, you know? Um, so for somebody who's been in Nashville almost 40 years, that would be my advice for kids thinking about going to Nashville focus and stay there because you will be defined in any music town by what they see you doing mm. and to try to change that vision um, is impossible. They will always see you as that. And then shut up and focus on what you're doing. Don't worry about being the funny guy and uh, um, and and really learn to put out of your mind the what do they think of me? What do they think of me? Just do your shit and pay attention and shut up. If somebody had told me that, I wouldn't have listened. But if I could have listened, I would have had a a, a different career in Nashville. So there. Wow. So you were you were with Don Kelly's band though for a while, right? No, I was not. Oh, you no. Oh, okay. No, I, I'm the first guy, I, when I was with the guitar player, I, I did things like, I told him, we got to hear this kid, Johnny Highland. Mm -hmm. He just joined, you know, I forget who quit. Um, uh, I don't know who was right before Johnny. Was it Johnny, J.D. Selmo? Was it Simon? No, he was uh, after, he was after Hunt. Okay. Um, and then and it was, uh, shoot, the real young guy. Um, it was Guthrie after that. And then, uh. I'll have his name in a minute. Real young cat. Uh, he was like 15 when he started with him. Daniel Donato, was it Daniel? Yes. That, yeah, Daniel. Um, but Johnny was just this guy and just standing up there picking. And um, I called the guys at Guitar Player. I said, guys, we got to do this kid. You know, he's, he's in uh, Don's band. And jeez, man. Uh and they, and, and they said, ah, oh, we don't need any fucking chicken pickers, man. We've had enough of those. Okay, well, the NAM, the NAM show was about a month later. And I, I literally dragged them from the, the, um, the convention center to the club. 
and made him listen. And they just put their jaws open. And I won't name any names, but the the guy who was editor at the time was like, "Oh man, this is one of my best discoveries." I'm like, no. <laughs> "Okay." You know, but uh, yeah, Johnny's a great guy. Um, we what hung out. Hot, man. Yeah, he really is. And uh, um, I think he has moved to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, last time I talked to him, he was moving there. I, you know, I shot his engagement photos and stuff. We were oh, buddies. Wow. But uh, I never did play with Don. I've sat in with Don several times, but uh, that is a funny guy, man. He did that. He just retired because of the shutdown. He was doing that when I was, I got there in 84 and he just now left and, and six nights a week or something. And the list of guitar players that have gone through his band, plus Dave Rowe, you know, uh, on bass. And Dave is another amazing success story. If you want to go to Nashville, you're a young guy, learn as much as you can about Dave Rowe. Dave made some false steps and some different steps when he first got there. And then he figured the shit out and put his head to it. He didn't play upright. Dave did not play upright when he got there. And um, Dave should tell this story. Maybe you should do Dave sometime. He's a lot more fun to talk to than I am. You know who Dave Rowe is? He was Johnny Cash's bass player the last 10 years of Johnny's uh, career. Dave and I, to get off the road, we both worked for Joe Glazer, the repairman. Right, yeah, Joe. And I swear to Dave will kill me for telling this, but what we would have him do, I mean, Joe taught me to do frets and nuts and all this stuff like that. And what he had Dave do, you know, we had a potbelly stove over there that we potted pickups in and stuff. It was way out in Leapers Fork. And uh, the bodies that were going to be um, either painted solid or that were the wood wasn't holding up to you know to snuff, so it was going to be thrown away. He'd have Dave sanding those bodies because <laughs> Dave just didn't give a shit. He had his give a shit return on like less than zero, and uh, uh, but then Dave made an amazing career. Um, he should tell you this story. I'll give you the nuts and bolts. Bruce, you will love this. Um, Johnny Cash is looking for a bass player. And Dave's, you know, boom, 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 playing. I think by then he was playing downtown. And I don't think he played. No, he didn't really even play upright. He might have even borrowed an upright. And, and the audition for Johnny was a show. We'll come and play this show with us. Wow. And and so Dave went out there and, and he in his own words, you know, he'll tell you it was just like somebody strangling a cat, man. It was just awful. And he was like hand, head down and trying to pack up his shit and get out of there in the dressing room. And uh, I think I'm getting this exactly right. You can check with Dave sometime. But but Dave said Johnny came back to him and he thought, oh no, man. And uh, Johnny said, Dave. Uh, uh, you don't you don't play a lot of upright, do you? <laughs> and he said, uh, "No, no, Johnny, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I just I saw an opportunity. I wanted to take a chance." And this is Cash, man. Cash said, "Well, I'll tell you what. A couple of months, I'm gonna want to be able to look behind me and see my bass player." And Dave, I hope that's you. And that's the last thing he said. Wow. He gave him that shot, you know. And, and he, it flew him off to 
places to go take lessons with heavy duty guys and shit. I mean, there are no other Johnny Cashes, man. There wow. are, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, cool. there. That's that's pretty gone. You know that that doesn't happen very often anymore. So I kind of but anyway. I yeah. kind of feel the um the Nashville. I I grew up in Australia, obviously, and every time country music would come on the radio, I'd tell my dad to turn that shit off. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I was a young buck, rock and roll, Van Halen, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I feel like in the last 10, 15 years, if you want to hear some great guitar playing, great musicians, you're not listening to top 40 America or pop music, you know? So that's why I've sort of Brad Paisley and Keith Urban and all those cats, what they're doing out there, Brent Mason. I mean, God, that's some of the Paisley, man. Paisley is just, first of all, he and Kim are like amazing philanthropists. Um, I remember when the guys, the guitar players said, okay, you got to do this kid. He's got an album out on Arista. And I did a lot of work for Arista. I, I called him. I said, really? Uh, I, I, you know, Brad uh, pastry. What is what pastry? <laughs> and, and they said, oh yeah. And they set this up. He was still in school in Belmont. He did that first album at Belmont university in the studio there. Wow. With Zach Childs, his buddy in college you know, ask Zach. Yeah. I know they were Zach like, Childs, yeah. And they were buds in college yeah, and maybe even roommates. Um, I know one of the first guys I got to sub for and, and got to know out at Opryland in 84, Marty Crum. He gave Brad an F <laughs> one time because he, he didn't get his shit done. But uh, I went into the offices to interview this kid and he looked about 12 <laughs> and he, he started tearing up. Because it was Guitar Player Magazine. I mean, he really wanted it. He really um, never seen anybody want it so earnestly. It turns out I had met him when he was about 12. Because I was on the road and we did the Wheeling Jamboree in West Virginia. And he was from there. And he was always backstage and playing with people and stuff. And I met him and hi, kid, you know. And uh, he remembered that, but I didn't. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, just just the players. But if you saw those sessions go down, a lot of people don't get that, man. They would do it. There's 10, two and six, you know, and you take a lunch break and you take a dinner break. You have a 10 o'clock and it's three hours and you have a two o'clock and it's three hours and, you know, um, and those guys would do them three a day over and over and over, over and over. Um, And I loved that. And when I had a brief period where I was doing quite a few demos, you'd go down on 16th and between 16th and, and 17th Avenue. Now it's all apartment buildings and parking lots, but it was little cottages, little 1930s, 40s cottages. And you'd pull up in the alley and start unloading your shit. And you'd wave at your buddies unloading in the other studios for their 10 o'clock, wow. you know, and it was just, um, and the way it worked, people don't get this because everybody does it in their own home and stuff. Um, the way it worked was you'd go in and maybe this, maybe there'd be a tape, but usually the songwriter would sit down with an acoustic guitar on a couch and start strumming and sing the song and everybody be making their, was that six mark? Yeah. You know, okay. And you'd go cut. And about eight times out of 10, um, the master, if, if it got cut, if like the songwriter would make the demo, 
you know, the publisher was paying for it. And, um, and if somebody picked it up and, you know, made a, a master, a record to go out, um, nine times out of 10, they'd use 70, 80% of what the demo guys did, mm. you know? So I, it really is a charmed, I was thinking about it too. I, was, I don't have anything to talk about. What the fuck do these guys want to talk to me for? Um, or let listen to me talk for, but there, there were things that happened then. I'm sure there are magical things now, but it, it can't be. Um, Dumplin. Uh, there's a guy named Johnny Cox who's now driving a truck called the Truck Driving Steel Man, and he drives a truck. I think he lives in Texas now. But he was with Ernest Tubbs band for 20 years, maybe. Wow. Playing steel. And I mean, steel guitar. The steel guitar players in Nashville look out it's pick it or pack it man those fuckers um this is i'll, I'll shut up for a minute um and no, no, that's what it's all about in this in after this story i'll shut up for a minute so somehow johnny cox took a liking to me and he said uh man we we do this jam session and uh we we don't have a guitar player yet and it's a bunch of steel players and uh um randy mason brent mason's brother randy on drums and, and, and Randy's a, a good guitar player, great guitar player, but he was playing drums. And he said, just some steel players. Well, I knew Stu Basor from the Waking Crew, the morning show where I subbed for Jimmy. That was another thing. He'd go in and some, and fucking um, um, last date, uh, Floyd Kramer would be subbing for Joe Lane. He'd, he'd look and you'd go, boy, the piano player looks a lot like Floyd Kramer. It's Floyd Kramer. Fuck. <laughs> anyway, um, so I go over to Dumplin's house, Johnny Cox. And here, literally, I swear to God, lined up our Buddy Emmons, Hal Rugg, um, uh, Wimpy, shoot, what's his name? Uh, Weldon Myrick, um, Lloyd Green. I mean, if, if you'd have bombed that house, there wouldn't have been a steel guitar on a record for, I mean, just, you know. And, and Domplin's playing bass. And these guys, I mean, God, do they play? Well, I didn't know. I was very new to town. And I thought, okay, I'm a jazz bow. I know how to do this, you know. You know, so, uh, yeah. So they get around to me and they say, they're playing, you know, because I love you because. And they're playing all this. And they've got so many cool ass passing chords and all this shit going on. I was so stupid. I thought, well, I want to show them that I can play it, man. So, you know, I didn't know what to call. And they said, well, Dumplin' says you play some jazz and stuff like that. And uh, um, and uh, you pick a tune. And if I'd had any brains, I'd have, I'd have said, oh, I don't know, Misty. <laughs> but I, I said, uh, well, well, we don't anything, do anything stupid like giant steps. And Emmons goes, one, two, one, two. And <laughs> mother, Jesus I mean, it was like licks deluxe. It was just like, oh my God. I mean, he literally, he's, I said, well, we don't have anything stupid like giant steps. I was making a joke. And, you know, I mean, at, after I do like, you know, I, I'm done. I, you know, I didn't have anything on giant steps. And, uh, and the, all those guys just played the living dog shit out of it. I mean, they just played like, and and 
I don't know what I did, except maybe leave a little pile there under me or something, but uh, <laughs> that was a big lesson. Steel players in Nashville. Bruce, you heard um, uh, Paul Franklin, didn't you, with the time jumpers? Sure, sure. Jesus, you know. He's it's that kind of stuff where, where people just – He's three fourths of the way through a solo, and everybody's going, "Oh my gosh, yeah. stupid was, man!" Was he on the road with uh, Dire Straits? Did he play with Mark Knopfler? He did. He yeah. and uh, Glenn Worf, um, Glenn Worf's bass player, Nashville. I think Paul got the gig first, and I'll I'll tell you a funny story uh, af after we are not on the air about <laughs> that. Oh, funny. I'd love to hear that. I had, interesting, I had an interesting steel guitar experience. I was probably 17 or 16 in San Francisco, and I was, I had taken lessons with a guy named Jackie King. You probably yeah. know who that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, just a brilliant player. And, you know, we would hang out, and I would just, I would basically sit outside his studio and wait for kids not to show for their lessons. And then I would go in and just hang out with him playing for an hour. And, uh, he called me up and he said, man, I got a gig and I can't make this thing. There's a steel convention in San Francisco. This is in San Francisco. This is a steel convention in town. They want me to play, but they just need somebody to play rhythm guitar. Can you go down and do it? And I'm like, uh, Jackie, you know, I don't know yeah. any of those tunes. You know, I know steel guitar rag and that's about it. I mean, anything else that they're going to play, I don't know what it is. And he says, well, it pays like $150. This is like 1972, you know. Yeah, I know all those songs. I'll go and try. <laughs> <laughs> so I went down there and I played. And the funny thing was, was we played, uh, and it was it was Buddy Emmons, Curly Chalker, and Maurice Anderson. And, and, and we played Shadow of Your Smile, Body and Soul, Donna Lee back home in Indiana. I mean, that's all we put. We all we did was play like jazz tunes, you know. Yeah. And all I had to do was comp for these guys who were just killing. I yeah. mean, dealing like it was shocking. Well, they like, have to. So I got to... lucky. I didn't really shit the bed. I mean, I never really took a ride. You know, there was no yeah. solos for me. I was just there to play chords for them. But you know, steel players have to pull chords apart and. They they have to learn because they're making a physical move with a pedal or they're sliding it. You know, they have to learn that the third resolves to the seventh and the fifth yeah. resolves to the root. And they have to learn those things um, in order to just play. Mm -hmm. To get from the one to the four, they've got to understand that that E is going to go to the F. Right. You know? and, and guitar players just do a grip, you know, right. when we start out. And so they're schooled in that, all that shit going on um, from, from the word go. Wow. And if you've ever sat down and then they'll have like eight pedals and four knee levers. What the hell, man? I mean, what kind of brain, you know, it's just, you know, cause, cause they'll say, well, it's an, it's an E9. And, and if you get two of them together, you'll hear them talk. Well, it's E9, uh, but my C6 next is like this. And I have, that's a G string instead of, a, you know. Yeah. I changed it last week. Check it out. And just, can you imagine if you just started tuning that to A instead of G? And then I don't understand their brains. Yeah. Wow. So, good story. That's, it still is wonderful, man.
What an instrument. Oh, God. I wish it was used still. Yeah. Um, you would now, you were the biggest, one of the biggest things you would have noticed the music just coming out of Nashville, how much it's changed. I mean, it's almost, it almost reminds me of LA 80s rock, some of it. Well, I think since the, since the early 80s, Nashville has been a lot of Nashville music that was made. They wanted to be LA so bad. Yeah. And um, so it would be maybe even earlier than that, the 70s in some ways, country music would be um, 15-year-old LA pop music. Right. And that's kind of gone like that, I think, a lot of the time. Um, then they, we had what, what I think of as neo-trad. When you had, uh, you know, uh, Vince Gill and and uh, all the way back to Ricky Skaggs, I had a gig, a six night a week gig in Wichita, at a club that was old enough that Roy Clark used to be in the house band. Wow! It's just shit club called Frankie's, six nights a week. Wouldn't wouldn't let me off for my wedding night, bastard. <laughs> there, there was a there were two booths pushed together near the door of Frankie's and the bouncer named Porkchop, who was about eight feet tall and that wide would curl up like a dog and sleep in these booths. They're pushed together. And if there was trouble, they'd wake him up, it piss him off. And he, one night somebody comes in and goes, there's a guy out in the parking lot with a chainsaw. Sure enough, guy out there drunk as a bicycle with a chainsaw and, and Porkchop just went out and took it away from him. <laughs> so it was a rough club, but coming home from there one night, I heard, still lived in Wichita, so it had to be uh, 82 or 3. I heard um, Highway 40 Blues. Ricky Skaggs' is Highway 40 Blues, and I heard Ray Flax solo on there. And I was driving home from the gig. I literally had to pull over. Nobody did. What the, f you know, I couldn't figure out, did he have a pull string on there? He didn't at the time. Um, got to know Ray after you know, some years, uh, pretty well. Um, and that was like that, mm. you know, that was the beginning, I think of Neo trad when, when Ricky Skaggs came out with highways and heartaches, eventually I got to, do you know that song highway 40 blues? It's a great song. Eventually I got to meet the cat who wrote it and I got to shoot an album cover for him and a magazine cover for him. So wow. it, was, it was really kind of neat. Yeah. And just sitting there going, God, you fucking wrote Highway 40 Blues. <laughs> it's pretty neat, man. Um, you know, Chris Eldridge moves in across the street from you, and you go, that guy looks like Chris. Jesus, that's Julian Lodge in the driveway. You know, it's, I mean, it's it's a neat town for a lot of that kind of stuff. Right. Really is. Man, it, it sounds like you obviously were knee deep in it for a long time, and like in the business on both sides of the fence. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think so, but, it, you know, it, it, the box is full of magazines and shit and, and the wall's full of guitars. I, I guess I was. And I would say if I had it to, if, if this was 1984, January 14th again, and I knew a couple things that I don't know now, I would stick to my guns, shut the fuck up, don't try to be funny. Listen 
pay attention and learn to focus. And if I were going into journalism, I would say the same thing. And if I were going into photography, I would say the same thing. You know, that, you know, if you're quiet, they're not going to dislike you. Mm. And so you're already ahead. And I was never quiet, clearly, you know. Um, I can relate to that. <laughs> well, I was a writer for a while. I got, paid, <laughs> I got paid by the word when I was writing. So, you know, that's, but um, yeah, it's, I think Nashville is a great place. It's, it's kind of like walking into one of the scenes from Star Wars, though, to me, um, to go. Like, I played for about two years downtown in the melee. Oh, wow. Uh, some kids came to me. I was playing with the Sweethearts of the Rodeo. I was playing bass. I still have my bass on. And, and they come up to me, and we're finishing up, and, I'm, and they go, hey, would you help us find a bass player? I'm going, <laughs> oh, was I that bad? You know, they said, no, would you? play with us i saw i don't know who the fuck you are kids they didn't know anything they didn't have nothing together uh but they were had been sitting in downtown and i said well come over to the studio and i'll check you out and and you know we'll see and they he couldn't play come to jesus in whole notes and she was just like that she could sing and they were sitting in i said okay um i don't you know I man, I don't, I don't know, I don't think. And she started crying. And she was from my hometown. And I, I said, "Okay, look, I'll help you get a band together. Um, I'll we'll, I'll play bass, and we'll find a guitar player. We'll rehearse. Nobody rehearses for downtown. You just know the two hundred songs. You got to know them, and you go get a gig. Um, and we did. We couldn't find a guitar player, so I bought a telly. I hadn't played guitar in six years and uh uh we went downtown and we played there in the biggest club at the time um and that was brutal you haul your shit in every day every night you play four hours with no break wow <laughs> it's louder than fuck um and it's always begging for tips and stuff like that and uh but it was a, it was an interesting experience how how much, I mean, I, I haven't been blessed enough to have that kind of a gig situation where you're playing that much. How much does your playing change with doing that kind of workload? Um, a ton. A ton. Because, uh, like I said, pick it or pack it. You either get it together or, or, you know, there's a better band. There's a better. And it's not like you have to be amazing. But you got to know the shit. Um, you got to learn the tunes. And if you're playing, I found this out again about a month ago when I had got my vaccinations. This is, we're about three hours from Wichita. It was a town I grew up in. A friend of mine, um, John Salem, went to Nashville before any of us. He played with Gail Davies, Town Van Zandt, uh, Towns Van Zandt, um, just all of the you know heavies back then. And... Uh, did a lot of recording and stuff, learned. He, he engineered a Caribou Ranch. He engineered, and now he's back in Wichita. Wow. He said, come up, we'll do an album. Um, I had done some recording for this guy named Rudy Love years ago from Wichita. He was in the George Clinton group and all that stuff. And so for old time's sake, I went up and recorded with his kid. We did it. And I, these kids, man, they fucking play. I mean, Nashville, that somebody will play something, we'll be writing charts and things. 
John would play him a song, it's funk music, and hard, not easy stuff. I mean, it was changes and shit like that. I'm going, wow, oh, man, you know. And these kids just stand there and listen. They don't make a chart. They don't do anything. And uh, and it's like they got some kind of pornographic memory or something because we'd do a take and they'd nail it. Wow. And I'd be, and I found out because we cut for, my ass was in a chair for five hours doing this album. And, and, and it's like, and, and I'm doing, maybe I do a little fill, you know, but it wasn't, I quickly saw there was a lot of good players. What they really need is. That's what they need. So I was doing that. And when I got back to the hotel room, I was like burning. I picked up my telly. Like, I took this guitar and that's all I played all day through a Princeton amp, a little pedal board that I didn't use anything on. And I'm doing this. Do that sometime. Play for five or six hours, just straight playing rhythm. And you'll be faster than you ever could would have imagined I, I i either had forgotten that lesson or i never learned it but time with your butt in the chair and 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 play, man i was i would i wanted to call somebody i wanted to call bruce and check this shit out because i could play really fast stuff real accurately and it was just from all day doing you know who knew fingers so, on the fretboard right yeah, it's you know you can't you can't imagine yourself into a comfort level. And I notice if I don't play for two or three days, and I've been at this a long time, hmm. you know, if I don't play for a couple three days, I'm gonna suck. Yeah, I guess it's. I, think, I guess it would like guys the Don Kelly and the the guitarists that have come through that. Doing that many hours every single day, you have to get badass, and that's it. It's the same with the Beatles in Hamburg, how they were playing, what, yeah. eight hours a day? and Exactly, exactly. That's the so, only way you get that damn good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just just hours on the – it's not like, well, if I could just learn this one more thing on the fucking internet, you know. Yeah. Um, it isn't that. It's, it's your butt in the chair. Yeah. You know, I met Nikki V. Hines, um, this wonderful kid who's pretty new to Nashville. And uh, I'm sure just because the way he presents himself in plays, and every time I've seen him play, it's like, um, I ran this like songwriter kind of night at the union the last year I was there, coming out of surgery, but um, once a month we'd have i'd try to do some eyes attract to so-and-so and i'll send you the baseline and it was players in a room and singing the song and everybody making a chart and we do like an old session and and nikki was part of that and he was just killing it just you know and i'm sure it's because he must have put in really put in the time and i know he plays every day he makes a good living already doing sessions for people in South Africa and resume speed Iowa and shit like that. You know, one of those services that puts you onto that. Right. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. So wow. 
Diamond Chicks. Yeah, and um, it looks like you got a hell of a setup there too. You know, I, I, I I'm still screwing around with stuff, but there's going to be a lot of stuff for sale because I want to get down to like three guitars or so. Um, I I went on a spree in the last couple of years. There's a couple of 335s over there. There's a, a 175. That's a 58 175. I used that on the gig last night, Bruce, with uh, Shelby. Well, I'm, I'm looking at right now in the picture, we can see about 10 or 11 guitars. Uh, maybe. And so, and so not to, you know, to disclose where you are so people could steal them or to create any, any strangeness. But I'm just going to ask you a question. Okay, the, the room's on fire right now, and you can only take one. Which one are you taking? Uh, <laughs> I hate this question. Uh, you, well, you just burned with them. Come on, pick one. Uh, you know, either that '93 Campoloni that oh. Mark built built for uh, what was the guy who who ran Just Jazz Guitar? Oh, Ed, uh, ben Ed Benson. Ed Benson, right? Yeah, that was what Mark built for him. That's a wonderful guitar, or the probably the '58 175. Oh, okay, all right. I just got this. I'm thinking yeah, about. I mean, we know the tellies won't burn anyways. That's full lurch, man. This weighs. <laughs> let's see. This. No. Yeah. Nice. Opposite. What is it? No caster. Oh, nice. Uh, Wildwood. It's got a 10 inch radius and a 60s carved neck. And I haven't even set it up yet, but it's. I mean, I haven't even, you know. So, so, so what do you got? So that's a crook guitar? No, this is a Fender Nocaster. Nah, he's got the Fender. I got the crook. From the 50s. Oh, that's a crook. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, wait a minute, Russ. You say that's an original Nocaster? No, 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 no. Oh. No, this is a, a reissue. Reissue, okay. Uh, but it's it's a custom shop thing, and it's got a 60s carved neck and a 10-inch radius. Mm. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's hard. For me to do that kind of stuff on a round fender neck. Tell me about this crook. Bill Crook well, is an interesting Bill, cat. Oh man, I I'm, yeah, because I'm a Paisley nut. So this come up on on Bill's site and I bought it. Man, I can see why Brad Pays plays these guitars. Yeah, so, yeah, they're same thing. Super light, just out of the box. It played amazing, and I just fell in love yeah. with it. So awesome. oh, they're wonderful, man. Yeah. Um, he uh, he kills them. And and uh, I mean Brad's old Brad's old telly uh, is uh, sixty eight I think it is um, it plays great but it's kind of heavy hmm. but the other stuff I mean, he's got holy crap um, I hadn't I have not really hung with him since they built the newer house behind the older house but um, he's got some really nice telecasters I would imagine and a jet. You know, so yeah, um, but they are he and Kim are philanthropic. Old they've they've got opened a food bank in town. Um, he's an amazing cat, man. They're they're both really. I like it. I love it. Man, I, I'm gonna Tim Lurchinchin, you know, because it's just like. Uh oh, we lost he him. Can't... No, he's back. Uh, 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 we lost him. 
Internet problems. So, <laughs> so um, there's a weird time. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> oh, we lost him. Rusty's okay, frozen. He's now for a musical interlude. <laughs> he's our first guest to freeze. Well, he's still, you know, I don't know, most people don't know he's actually starred in that music movie Frozen. <laughs> oh, we've lost him completely. <laughs> he's dropped out altogether. Maybe they don't have internet in Oklahoma or Old Tulsa. Well, you know, yeah, well, maybe I think they do, but. I think I think we were going through an international uh, problem here. We don't have our codes correct. I gotta I gotta send him another invite. <laughs> okay, well this is to make making your job easier. That's good because oh man, Rusty's the kind of guy I could talk to him all day, man. He's, he's got great. A... He's great, isn't he? Oh, I mean, what a what a I lot of great you. stories and stuff. Oh my god. Yeah, he's seen some shit. I know, and what an asshole. <laughs> Man, he, yeah, I want to I'm, I ask him about his photography and how he got into that, if we can get him back here. Well, this is our first technical difficulties with Guitar Wank. The very first. This is the very first technical diffity. Dick, <laughs> I know, this is kind of weird, you know, and I mean. Diffity. Maybe I should sing a song or something, you know. Oh my God! We've never had any technical problems on this show in the two hundred and thirty. Well, should, should we just complain about the internet, or should I do something embarrassing? Do well, do do the oh, do the above. Oh, we got him back. Oh, we got him back. Oh, shit. there I was he is. About to embarrass myself, Rusty. Oh, really? We, yeah. We thought we'd lost you. Uh well. You know, you're not the first. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty, tell me, how yes, do you sir. go from guitar player, bass player, musician, Nashville, to get into photography? How does that happen? Working my way to the bottom. Uh, <laughs> so you play jazz as well. Um, <laughs> I get that, Roy. I get that, Troy. That was funny. I was getting in there before ooh, you, Bruce. Ooh, ah, look, he shoots, he scores. Um <laughs> I there's for each of us probably there's some kind of iconic thing that happened. Well, how I want to play the guitar, or wow, I want to do this. Um, I was a trumpet major in college on a full ride scholarship, and for those couple of years I was there, Jerry Hahn was teaching guitar at Wichita State, and Jerry gave me a cassette of jazz winds from a new direction. Hank Garland sold my horns, dropped my scholarship, quit school, moved to Denver, started playing guitar and teaching guitar, wow. studying with Dale Bruni. Um, there's some kind of iconic thing that you hear. For me, it's it's like that record with Hank Garland. I was got, I got to do that for life. Okay, I, my wife and I used to go just for recreation way before like internet stuff. Um, or internet was like, hello, I can see, you know, kind of like our connection tonight. <laughs> and, and we'd go to a bookstore. You go to Books a Dozen or whatever the fuck it is. And uh, I bought a book, um, The Decisive Moment, uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson. And just like I did with guitar, 
Um, I mean, I was a 22-year-old trumpet player doing gigs and boom, sold my horns, bought a guitar. Just like I did with guitar, I like bought a camera. And um, this was before, there was a period I was divorced from my first wife. Um, and, and I guess that was the period. Um, and I had a little house in North Nashville and I had a dog and somewhere in, in this, uh, house in boxes, there were probably 3000 rolls of black and white film. I burned through a stainless steel sink, learning to develop film, literally burned a hole in it. Wow. Because I saw that Cartier-Bresson book. I saw the decisive moment thing. Uh, I, I checked into Ansel Adams. I, I thought, oh, you know, there, there's an art to this. So I got to do uh, shows. Um, I got to do uh, magazines and stuff. But I, I just learned and learned and learned. Um, went down to the Tennessean, the newspaper there. Um old fabled newspapers where Tipper went and met Al Gore, you know, um, and uh, that they both worked there. And um, I said, here's some black and whites. I printed up at home and I, I wanted, I just want to be part of it. And they said, okay, here's a roll of film. Or they gave me a roll of color film and uh, it was still film in those days. And, and they said, there's a thing going on down at such and such and such and such. Clearly it wasn't a very important thing. And he goes, uh, try not to screw it up. <laughs> okay. And they, uh, but that, that's it. I just got obsessed. I got obsessed with it. And the same thing with writing. Then I wrote myself into a bad um, physical state because I sat there and I got really busy. So I would have four bios for record labels due on Friday. It's Tuesday night. And I've got an article that I got to finish for guitar player. And uh, I'm just up all night with coffee and cigarettes, just going like that oh, wow. over a chair. My back is like that. Right. I have scoliosis that bad. So anybody who watches this, I don't can't imagine anybody still watching this that started, but um do do not do this. Do not sit and teach guitar hunched over an arch top like this for 40 years because you will end up real screwed up. I stood on a volume pedal with my left foot and a guitar hanging over my my shoulder and stood on my right foot and my back's like that. And the only other thing I did was have a 20-pound camera bag on that shoulder. So don't. I mean, sit up, sit the fuck up and play. You'll, you, you may look goofy, but you'll feel better 40 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I took another side road, hard to believe. Um, <laughs> hey, Bruce, you look like you're going to play something. What are you going to play, man? I'm just, I'm just sitting here. Uh, yeah, I saw you with the guitar in your hand, so I'm just sitting here. My hands just because it's my natural state, you know. And now I'm working on my posture because you reminded me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's man, old age is no place for sissies. No. Do you, Rusty, do you have a um, do you have a photo that you feel maybe not defines your career, but one that you are highly proud of? Um. Wow, good question, Troy. Good question. I do. 
Can you wait for me to unbox it? I've never unboxed it. Oh, wow. Yeah, go get, yeah go get unboxing. Get I mean, I, I have, but not since we've been here in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I actually have uh, printed up a bunch of these, but they're in the garage, and I don't want to take all the time to go get them. I think I can unbox this. I think. This is an unveiling. You, you don't get wow. this. Oh, wow, this is the first one. I need a drum roll. Hold on. All right. And maybe this is the wrong print. Michael is embarrassed about this, but he does have one on his wall. This guy is the most photogenic guy in the world. Um, he's a good friend. Michael Rhodes. Do you know Michael? Michael Rhodes? Yeah. Bass player. You've seen him with Bonamassa. You've seen oh, yeah. him. With, yeah. He's on more albums than fucking any bass player in the, on the planet. I think this is Michael. But uh, we did a show in St. Louis. You don't. You can't get this on most guitar wings. No, guys, no, it's, not, it's the first. Um, People, we got like two or three hundred of these shows. And we've never had this happen. We've never had an unboxing. You know. Uh, well, that's a that's a John John Coltrane uh, uh, poster. We're getting there. Look at all the nice guitars for a second. Right, I'm looking at them. I'm looking at your nice amps there. <laughs> I'm, um, you... There you go. You see that? Oh, reflection in the screen. There you see me. Oh wow. Oh yeah, I see it. Yeah. Beautiful, man. I can't see what you're seeing of it. Yeah, that was. That is a good and that, shot. That's a poster from a show we did in St. Louis. Nice. He's the most photographic cat on the planet. Um, he did that. We came over to my studio at my house, and uh, I said, I don't know, let's do something sculptural. That's like a uh, first year of the P bass that he has. And uh, he said, let's do something sculptural or something like that. And he's like, I don't know. You mean like, oh, snap, we're done. He's just art on the hoof, man. Yeah. It's uh, uh, you and just, you, just you a good, good guy. You said you did, you rode with the um, politicians, the presidential? Well, uh, some. I, I shot Obama when he was uh, a senator. He was stumping for another candidate there in Tennessee. And by that time, by the time uh, Obama became president and, and Joe Biden was vice president, I was uh, I was well established with um, Getty Images. Yeah, yep. I was kind of their guy in that region. And so, like when when they did the the deployment to Afghanistan, the first one, well, Fort Campbell's forty five minutes away, one hundred first Airborne. So they sent me up there, and I had to have Secret Service clearance. I had to have a bunch of different stuff. Um, but General Petraeus drove me in and two other photographers around all day in his jeep. <laughs> uh, they literally, he drove. Um, they sent a hundred miles of train. The the gear they sent to Afghanistan took up a hundred miles of train. Wow. Yeah, and 60 Blackhawks, we shot them when they took off. But that got me, uh, so when Biden came to town to do some fundraising and another time when he came 
uh, at one point, um, I had White House somewhere around here. There's still White House clearing uh, badges, uh, clearance badges, and uh, they send you through a thing. So you're riding the motorcade, you know, um, with a sniper in the car and the other unimportant people in the car. And it's really weird to get on an interstate highway and you're in one of eight cars on the whole highway because they, they don't fuck around, man. They don't like get out of the way. They clear it. You don't get on that highway when one of those cats is going down the road. It's just see ya. And, uh, so he was there for two or three days the first day and a half or so he would make jokes and call me randy he couldn't remember my name <laughs> but very nice guy he was a very nice guy and i've got i got a picture of him slapping me on the back and laughing and i put it up on facebook every now and then oh, you know, wow that's cool president so. but yeah it was what a fun what a fun ride man what a what a cool thing to get to do i do wish that i had not taken time away from the guitar. I went back and played trumpet again for a couple of years with a fellow named Mike Ferris, who won a Grammy, um, gospel artist. McCrary sisters were on the road with us, we had nine, 10 people on the road, um, did the Harley Strictly Festival, did the, some big stuff. I don't know why I wanted to play trumpet again, but I did. Wow. And uh, so I it just stick with one thing, man. Oh man, no, man. Rusty, I got to say, man, your story is so interesting. You know, man, no, it sounds I'm, like a really great way to go through life, man. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with you. For those of us that just get stuck, we get stuck and we love it. But I don't know. I don't I don't know that I'm going to buy that. It, you know, you, all the amazing stuff you've done. Look at this. That's what a rich, you know, life, you know, it, and you still got you still got tons of time left to do whatever it is you want to do, you know. It's I'm like Forrest Gump, man. I was in a bunch of weird situations, you know. Uh, I was there when Pat Metheny was introduced to um, uh, uh, Bruce or uh, Vibes. Come on, uh, help me. Bruce Longball? No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Gary Burton. Oh yeah. You know, I'm sitting <laughs> at the table and and Gary Burton's there, and this kid from. Kansas City is get the plays of the jazz festival in Wichita and Maxine Adams brings them up and introduces him to Gary Burton. <laughs> Who gets to do that? <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's very Forrest Gumpian, some of the stuff, but um, I think I envy guys like you who did a thing and did that thing. And that's what they stand for. And I, I've, I struggle sometimes uh, um, to reconcile the idea that, you know, wow, I could have been a contender. I, you know, I, I did bigger things in journalism and in, uh, I mean, I've shot a hundred album covers and 150 magazine covers and that's cool. I've shot for time magazine I've shot for all that. And that's cool, but it's not like that's who I was. It's something I did for a while. And I wish I had just been a guitar player like you have all your life. One man's ceiling is another man's floor, you know. But it, it so, seems it seems to me, Rusty, is that whatever you actually kind of put your mind to, you actually succeeded pretty damn well. Um. Well, you had maybe. a you had a level of success. I I 
I'm stubborn. So I, I won't, if I, if I, I don't think this will ever happen again, but if something came up that I, boy, I really want to learn that I would destroy the rest of my life, you know, like I destroyed marriages and stuff saying, I got to learn this, leave me alone. So, um, I, you know, but here I am, I'm getting to play. I can't, it fucked up my cataracts. I, so I can't, I can't see to take pictures anymore. Um, don't have any desire to do that, but I get to play. There's great players in, in Tulsa. Um, uh, I want to learn to play solo guitar better, you know, um, like Bruce can go do a solo gig and, and have be a six string orchestra yeah, and, and be the whole thing. And I've got, you know, a very limited number of tunes that I could keep interesting for three choruses in a row all by myself. So maybe that's the next thing I'll get lit up about. I don't know. Yeah. So what what do you do when you pick up the guitar nowadays? What what do you, um, what do you find yourself playing? I find myself studying. Hmm. Uh, I I try to figure out a limitation. Um, like I I haven't played any country since I've been here, and that pisses me off because um, <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. So now and then I'll find like, oh boy, my country chops are really going to shit. So I'll I'll take a day and play some, you know, something, you know, whatever. Um, that kind of shit. But really, um, uh, I'll pick up an arch top usually, or maybe this, because it's easy to play a, a telly. And um, I'm working on stupid stuff that I should have done a long time ago. You know, just being able to play that so I can play, you know, I don't know if you can hear that. I've got all the chops that I need to, you know, to play most any gig I have to play. You know, uh, it's not like I, I sit here and go, uh, you know, wow, I want to work on, you know, that's just stupid. Uh, I can get it out, whatever I need, but I'll work on um, pretty. The, the album I had in study hall in high school that I just kept listening to, because I had a lot of study all the time, was kind of blue. That's the first album that was that and Let It Be by the Beatles. Or maybe it was Abbey Road. Um, but to get that... That's, you know, that's the shit. To, to make pretty music. And not do that thing that everybody does for that <laughs> man. Uh, but um, I think the hardest thing for me to maintain is sound in your finger fingertips. If you don't play all the time, like you go two or three days, which I try not to anymore. But doing this is different if I wasn't playing. Played last night to me, that would be different. 
Obviously, writing for guitar. How many different guitar players you got to talk to over the years? Yeah, I did three or four articles on Brent Mason, one on Brent Rowan. Um, uh, of course, I hung with Jimmy Caps a lot, and to know that, like I said, the king of Inga Jinga. You know, when "Stand by Your Man" was going down. And if you watch that cat do that, it's just like, oh my God. It's like watching an artisan build a bowl or something. <laughs> um, it just, I, I got to meet a lot of cats. Carlton um, got to hang when he was cutting the uh, Fingerprints album with uh, Abel Boreal and Vinnie Cagliotta. They cut it at the Sound Kitchen in Nashville. And I hung out for a whole lot of that. Wow. And there, there was a neat I, you know, camera around my neck and writing stuff. There was a neat moment, man. Uh, we're, I was sitting talking to, with him. He was in the vocal booth with an acoustic, I guess, a gut string, I think. And uh, I mean, he was a hero of mine, you know. Yeah. Geez, strikes twice. I wore that out. And um, uh, the engineer goes, okay, man, we're ready to take that. Let's clear that room. And uh, Larry goes, oh, it's all right. Russ knows what he's doing. And I just sat there this far away from him when he cut a track. I don't know what track it was. So I, I, it really is Forrest Gumpian. I, there's no way I earned any of this shit that I could be around. I just bumped into it stupidly. Um, wow. But I, you know, I got to hang around Chet some. And in fact, they found a note in his desk after he died that uh, he wanted me to write the cover story for a guitar player. Wow. Have this guy do it. So I did. Um, and there's another story that I, contractually and stuff I can't tell, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there with, with the Chet thing. Um, how was, how was Chet? Wait a minute, Rossi. You can tell it here. No one listens to this podcast. <laughs> no, no, I really can't. <laughs> I can tell you. I'll tell you offline sometime. Uh, how was Chet? Um and that's another stupid thing. I have stood this far from him. He didn't know me well. I wasn't one of his prodigies like Pat Bergeson or something. I mean, he loved Pat, told him to move to Nashville. You know, I was just a guy from a magazine. But uh, I've stood this far from him while he edited tape, two-inch tape. You know, roll it back and forth. You know, they used to roll it back and forth. Yeah. He sit in there with a razor blade and a cigar in his mouth, almost not look and go... And Scotch tape it back together, and there's a verse perfectly. I mean, he was just unbelievable that way. And I would, I've been down where he lived in Bell Mead uh, after once when he lived was alive, and once when it, I was interviewing Leona after he passed to his studio downstairs where all the shit went on. Um, he was. Uh, no Chet Atkins, no Nashville music business. Yeah, he was the guy. People don't, under, people don't understand that. The, the brief history, you want that? Yeah, of course. 
Yeah. I know it because I know it because I researched a book and I'm 200 pages into a, an authorized biography, but it'll never be able to come out for some reasons that I can't talk about. It's not my doing. But um, uh, Chet moved. Uh, Chet was at, in in Arkansas on a radio show with the Carter family, and and this, I'll try to make this quick. The uh, and WSM the Opry really wanted the Carter family. They said we won't come without our guitar player. And uh, they Opry kept saying no, but finally they said, okay, bring the guitar player. That was Chet and the Carter family, you know. Um, so after a couple of years there, uh, uh, the, the RCA in New York, see, back in the 40s, there wasn't a recording scene there. There wasn't a recording scene anywhere for hillbilly music, country music. And, and they couldn't get the recording artists to go to New York to record where all the recording was because they play the Opry or they play, you know, one of the other, like the, the uh, Hayride in Louisiana or whatever. And then they go out and they make their dough playing for the people who heard them on the show uh, in the region. They drive in their cars, upright bass on the back. So they couldn't get recordings. They couldn't get them to come to New York. That was two weeks out of work and records didn't pay back then. So Steve Scholes of RCA started sending gear, renting gear and sending it down to Nashville. Second floor of the Brown Brothers garage, an auto shop, and Chet Atkins would produce people. And... Uh, um, he began that way. There was a time in the early sixties where he was producing 35 people at the same time. <laughs> and the artists that Chet Atkins signed and developed Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, uh, you name it on and on and on and on Waylon Jennings, um, Bobby bear, uh, you name it. And he was, he was still at it. Um, he owned at the time he passed, he owned half a music row. The real estate thing was him and Bob Moore, the bass player. Wow. Um, and Bob's still alive and Bob was on everything. There's a, the Quonset hut is the studio in Nashville where all of that went on. Um, and, uh, until a couple more studios came, but that was the, the Bradley brothers studio. There is, that's still there. Belmont built a building around it, but you can see the line and outline of the building of the quant, literal Quonset hut. That's where jazz winds from a new direction was done. That's where every record was done. And Bob Moore, the bassist, you can see a hole in the linoleum about that deep and about that big around. And that's where his bass end pin went. He was on every fucking record for ever. And, uh, so, and Chet was, you know, he brought Jerry Reed to town, or Jerry came to town. And Chet gave him a chance. Did you, um, did you ever meet Jerry? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Rowe was his son-in-law for a long time, and and the grandson is Jerry Rowe, Rorick. Um, but I interviewed um, Jerry a couple of times for guitar player. The latter time, the later time was at a like an O'Charlie's or something near his home. Uh, he was not well. He wasn't doing well. He was didn't have long but i was around him on the road some too and uh boy just a 
super nice cat and almost like a savant you know just picked it pick it up and it would just this music would come out of this guitar i mean it's it was weird and chet and i had talked about that how when he first heard jerry he said he was from georgia he said just come on up to nashville man but uh they were real tight um yeah man uh really cool stuff but uh, I don't know if anybody is, is going to watch any part of this beyond about the first 30 seconds to go, Oh, geez. But, um, if there's young people that tune in because of you and Bruce and they've seen an old guy who's had kind of a career, um, make sure you want to spread yourself thin because there will be compromises. Just like if you only do one thing, there will be compromises. And, some of what I deal with today is that, wow, I spent 10 years doing that and five years doing that. And holy shit, if I'd have just worked at, worked at this, gone and sought the best, like if I'd have gone and studied with Bruce 15 years ago or something, or 20, you know, or at that time, who knows, you, you could study with anybody. You could probably get lessons with John Pisano or Joe Pass, you know, or something. And, um, yeah, I'm here. I'm happy. I got a great wife. I got three dogs who recognize their own names. Shit. <laughs> well, I got to worry about. You would um like if you look at the landscape today of guitarists. I mean, you can turn on you can turn on any YouTube or just any social media and see some kid that like just tears it up and you're like fucking hell, yeah. where did, where, where did all these kids come from? Well, we didn't have that much to see and hear, you know. An Eddie Van Halen record might come out or something. But um, what I don't see, and I think Bruce and I have talked about this, I don't see people who get, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, chop monsters. Whatever. Um, what was that? That's not very, chops really. But what I don't see is this. To me, that's romance. I mean, I'm not in great shakes. I don't know what the fuck I'm playing. But to get that. Because that's money. Mm. And the guy who taught me that is like, uh, um, uh, was Stu Basler. I was doing sessions for, he was a steel player on the, on the morning show. Uh, rest his soul, I was a pallbearer. And he and Jimmy Caps there, and I'm subbing for Jimmy. And uh, we did some session together, and I wasn't getting it. I was trying to impress them. And what they needed was one of these, you know, uh, like a... Uh, and uh, just that little kind of a thing, you know, a little sparkler. And I was playing some kind of, you know, trying to you know whatever the fuck i was playing and wasn't getting it and we decided let's get some coffee and listen back and stuff like that and he said just man just play something that feels good he said and really play something commercial the idea here is that they want to get this song cut and to get this song cut it's got to sound commercial so you got to play something commercial and i was like 
And one time in my life, I kind of took a suggestion and did it. And I did whatever the fuck it was, you know. And Stu took his phones off and he came over and he goes, now that was commercial as pussy. And I just <laughs> never forget that, man. Um, it was a good lesson. Oh, man. So, yeah. It's been what a, what a wild ride, man. What a, what a fun thing. And uh, I, I guess I certainly have gone down every aisle in the big um, big box store of life that I was interested in. And, and this is the aisle I landed on. And that's, that's what I want to, you know, I, I can't see well enough anymore to do photography. I can't carry a bag anymore. So, uh, yeah. It's it's still jazz winds from a new direction. I still put that and and kind of blue on, and uh, so I'm, I'm I imagine you would know a lot of the session cats in Nashville, and you probably get to meet. I mean, so many amazing players over the years. Did you did yeah. you ever run across Vince Vince Gill much? Oh yeah, yeah. I stopped by I stopped by and said goodbye to him when we were leaving town. Uh, and I had worked out a guitar a, a lap steel from '37 lady had here in jinx and she wanted to sell it and i worked it out so that vince ended up buying it right so I, I was taking a picture for her of him with it but yeah i've done i shot all his guitars a couple of times oh wow shot a bunch of them and his place man it's it's just stupid it's <laughs> I mean, it's grill cloth is the is the ceiling uh tweed real tweed is Amp cover is the wallpaper. He has, I won't go into more detail about what, I mean, the, it's stupid. But the first thing he did, I set up my little background. I'm over there with the, the stuff, uh, with my cameras and stuff. And he said, how about if we start with some mandolins? And I'm like, okay. And he brings out a 1921 Lloyd Lore F5. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and goes, just a minute and he comes back with the next serial number of one <laughs> it's, it's fucking stupid I, I i went by when i went by on our way well not on our way but a week before we left or a week and a half uh went by the house and i it'd been long enough like a year or something i didn't know which door i <laughs> ring the doorbell and amy goes hello <laughs> and i'm oh shit uh but um i couldn't remember which door was the studio um, but I took, uh, this Campoloni to show him cause it's just, it's just beautiful. And he had seen it, he played it somewhere and, uh, I showed him that and he goes, wow, that's, that's really nice. He goes, let me show you something I just got. And he goes over and he gets out. This is like a year and a couple months ago. Um, he, he pulls out as a blonde, like new, like it was made yesterday, 16 inch, John D'Angelico Archtop, brand new. Had to have paid 150 grand for it or something. Jesus. It was just, and he goes, here. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, uh, what do I play on this? But what a sweetheart. I will say this um, and probably shouldn't, but, you know, there are people who get in trouble, like maybe a drummer gets in a wreck and he didn't have any insurance or there's, somebody has a really bad fire at their house or something like that. Um, and they don't have any insurance or they're stuck or something. And all of a sudden, you know, the hospital bill 
or a, a new house that just happens to be, boy, we, that one's empty for a few months. Why don't you live there? Just happens to open up or the hospital, $200,000, $300,000 hospital bill gets paid and you um, anonymously. And it's always Vince or Dolly. Hmm. They are, they are genuine, really good people. Amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Dolly walks in a room and it changes. Even if you're not looking over there, it changes the room. It's what amazing. a what an angel that lady is! Oh God! Oh jeez! And what a pro! Yeah, well, I've seen her. I've seen her save shows where people didn't know they weren't uh, didn't have the chops to interview her and make things go right. And you, we've all seen that when somebody knows enough that they kind of take over the interview. <laughs> well, I figure you're probably going to ask me about this. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Vince is, man. He's uh, to me, he's got to be one of the, the best all round everything kind of guys. That guy can just, nothing comes out of him. That's bad. He's just amazing. If you, if you ever saw him sing in the studio, it's, it's un, unreal. There's just this voice of God comes out. It's, um, but yeah, man, I mean, yeah, everybody knows that he's, phew. I saw him when he was in pure Prairie league, uh, back in the early eighties in Wichita. Yeah. He was the singer in pure Prairie league and, uh, was good then. Anyway, I could, that, I, I was talking to Guthrie trap the other week. Yeah. Another, such a musical, so tasteful. Such a great yeah. player and a nice, such a, yeah. a really great guy. He's a wonderful guy, man. He's just, um, yeah, yeah. He lived not far from me uh, in East Nashville. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's he was one of those musical players that Don Kelly had. Uh, one of the most. They were all, you know, nobody got that gig unless they were good on a lot of levels. But uh, yeah, Guthrie's, he really has uh, an ear for that's a, that's a right part. Mm. And to do that when, when there's hot playing going on, you yeah. know? Yeah. But uh, you should be interviewing Bruce, man. Bruce is like, he, he actually does stuff and has good stories. Well, I've been interviewing him for the last 240 shows. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, you know, that's, I feel, uh, I, I thought he was kidding when he said, let's do a, a wank, but, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, it's just ones and zeros, you know. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the favorite amp that you like to, uh, to run through these days? Well, right now, this is a Henriksen, and it's amazing. It'll get kind of a telly sound. Um, but, that's a 74, uh, 74 Princeton reverb, and that's a 71. And those two are kind of the go-to for. Is that a tune? But that's a Hendrickson. I yeah. mean, you know, and it, it doesn't break down. Speaking of Hendrickson's, I want to give a shout out to Peter Hendrickson on two levels. One, <clears throat> he's continuing the discount. If you mention my name, 
you will get a discount on a, on, an, on an amp. I, of course, love those amps for both their quality of sound and their portability. Which, as you as you climb the stairs of life, like I do, um, that becomes more and more important. <laughs> That's true. I climbed the stairs to the gig with a Hendrickson last night. He's telling the truth. You know, I mean, no, they're, they're great amps. And, you know, like if somebody needs to sing or you need it, I play the Bud amps and like the second channel, you could you could put a vocalist or another guitar player in it. And it's great. Um, but also Peter sort of championed my cause, of course, and I'll be coming through Denver next month uh, and Fort Collins on my pilgrimage to reclaim Barney Kessel's guitar. Oh, that's so cool. And I'm going to be playing gig the first gigs. You know, I'll be bringing my red guitar and probably doing my red guitar show. And when you think about getting the Barney Kessel guitar, it's sort of like just a, another chapter in that story. But um, I'll be, for those of you who are a looking for a good amp for gigging and great sound, uh, give Peter a call and mention my name and you'll get, I don't know how much to discount. He'll probably just laugh at you and charge you double. He, he added, he added 15% to me when I, uh, for me, when I mentioned your name, I'm just well, saying. You know, but they, yeah. Okay. So maybe, maybe I ought to mention Rusty instead, but, no. um, but, uh, <clears throat> I'll be in, uh, in, uh, I don't know if this will even be out by then, but uh, let me see. Uh, I'm going to give the exact dates now that I have them. The 25th of, of May, I'll be in Fort Collins at the Lyric Theater. The 26th of May, I'll be in Arvada, California, Arvada, Colorado, West Denver, right? Which is a which is a suburb of Denver uh, at the Pick and Parlor, which is a great guitar store. So. Um, and I'll be bringing the, I'll have the Barney Kessel guitar supposedly in my hands unless the guy sells it to somebody else before I get there or um, my check bounces or uh, I get ripped off before I get to the gig. Those <laughs> are the things that will stop. Or, or I look at it and say, this isn't Barney's guitar. <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> Barney Rubble's guitar. I want <laughs> Barney Kessel's guitar. Now you... You have a story about that guitar from Australia, don't you, Bruce? Yes, I do. I was I was on the road. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> playing with Barney at this particular tour. Uh, I was playing in the Monterey Jazz Festival All Star Band, and Barney was in the Great Guitars with Charlie Bird, Herb yeah. Ellis, I believe, or maybe it was just Charlie and Barney, and they were like the other band. It was like two bands on tour together. And for some reason, I got lucky and talked the stewardess or the, the gate agent into letting them letting me bring my guitar on the on the plane. Barney didn't have it that kind of luck, and they took it away from him, and they checked it, and uh, ended up breaking the headstock. On it. <laughs> it was it was horrible. I felt so bad. Luckily, because um, we were in different bands, he could play my guitar. Uh, on the gig, you know, uh, he had that. I mean, that guitar. They they fixed the headstock, of course. You know, it's not a particularly the one seventy fives. 
guitars like that, they, that's a real common occurrence because the mahogany necks, I guess. Although I'm not even sure whether this is mahogany or a maple neck. I mean, I'll have to look at it when I get it, but they broke the headstock and he had it fixed, but I was with him on the road in Australia when that happened, or maybe it was New Zealand. It was one of those two countries down there. And um, I know to you, Troy, that there's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, sheep. There's one big difference, sheep. But I hear you have sheep in Australia too. Yeah, they're not as scared. They're really scared in New Zealand. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you don't have to buy them a drink in New Zealand. So, so, that, so that means... So that <laughs> yeah, means they get a little rapey down there with sheep. So that means the sheep are more intelligent in New Zealand? Is that what that means? <laughs> Pretty much. How, how was your trip to New Zealand? Not bad. <laughs> but... um yeah, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about Barney lately. He actually, we just, uh, we're recording this on, what is it, May 7th, and he, he died on May 6th. Oh, wow. In 2004, so it's like 17 years ago. Um, yeah. You know, you should, someday you should do like a podcast, one of these things or something about all that the work that Barney did that people don't, I'm afraid some of that's going to get lost in the, in the fluff because you know, they think, okay, they did easy. Like the, yeah, he did albums. He was a jazz guitar player, but he did session after session after session with Carol K there on bass and just yeah, oh yeah. shit. He's on so many hits from the sixties and stuff. Right. Well, in fact, um, Brian Wilson credits him for a lot of the, uh, yeah interesting you know pet sounds harmony right wow um there's a really great book can i can i publicize this a little bit um i was just reading through it again it's kind of like something i do every day six i kind of read through this book there's this book called barney kessel a jazz legend where'd you get that it's it's written by maurice summerfield a, a great guitar player from from England, I know the name. Oh, the, and the it's guy got all the, it's got all these old pictures of Barney. It's got this kind of the story of his life. Um, it's got a huge discography, but it's mostly the jazz records. It's not really all the sessions, you know, that he did. Although it talks a lot about his relationship with Brian Wilson and his relationship with Phil Spector, who he took under his wing and. Mm -hmm. Phil kind of supposedly was interested in being a jazz musician. He kind of said, no, I really ought to think about this other thing. And uh, obviously it worked out pretty good for a while for Phil until. <laughs> you know what? Man? It talks about his, uh, you know, like the guitar that I'm going to get. Um, hopefully. Are you going to say something about Phil? Uh, what am I going to say? Something no, about Rusty. No, I was going to say, um, uh, you know how to get a hold of uh, um, uh, Louis Shelton. I do for certain. Yeah. If he's in. He lives in Australia. Oh wow! Uh, on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And um, I would bet that he has a lot of great stories about time with. I you know. I know because I mean Louis. You know, he's the one that said, "Well, why don't you call this Larry Carlton kid?" You know, that's that's how deep Louis was. You want to hear? You know early beach boys and and all of that that's uh that's louie on the guitar um 
he produced the Carpenters. He did the solo on uh, Hello, uh, Lionel Richie. I mean, he did it for years and years early on. And I think he worked a bunch with Barney. So he might be one of the few remaining people who would, because he just had his 80th birthday, Louis Shelton did. And so he might have some stories, some information about Barney um, like that. Cause I, I don't think Carol Kay talks to anybody anymore. Oh, so, I can, no, I talked to Carol. I, I need to get her back on the show. She, yeah. I mean, I talked to Carol. She's cool. But those uh, folks, I mean, look at those pictures. There's the beach boys and there's Carol Kay or there's, you right. know, just, so, anyway, this particular book about Barney is really great. And uh, I suggest everybody try and pick it up. It's called Barney Kessel, a jazz legend. Actually, I just look, I look at it every year and then I realize I wrote a forward to it. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, but, 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 you know, uh, along with me, Howard Alden, guys like uh, um, Leonard Feather, Wes wow. Montgomery, uh, who else? Uh, Tal Farlow, B.B. King and Mundell Lowe, you know, a few guys. So, um, it was really wow. a fun read. Tells a lot of things you wouldn't know about a guy like him. He was very, very interesting guy. And this is the guitar, of course, right on there. And this is the guitar right there. So wow. there you have it. So really uh, heavily modified 350, right? Yeah, it's a 350 that he Frankenstein, you know, to get it the way he liked it. Cool. It's super exciting stuff. Gonna get that guitar. Yeah. We want we want pictures of it. You know, like, I won't believe it till it's in my hands. Then I will announce it to the world. You know? Oh man, that's so cool, Bruce. Yeah, but and uh, it should go. It should go there because you you knew him well, you know. And yeah, there, there's a few of us that did, you know. But I'm the one that asked the question. I know he loved me, you know. So yeah. he was the one that sending lightning bolts to me, say, "Call this guy now," you know. So yeah. I did. So, yeah, that's uh, cool, man. That's cool. Well, I, Rusty, I gotta say, man, like your your life has been one hell of a ride. That's for sure. And, well, um, I don't know. It's, it's uh, it's weird turns. It weird turns, but man, it seems like you've always landed on your feet, and you've done some incredible stuff. I mean, everything from your writing to your playing and uh, photography, man, Im impressive. Really and, impressive. And and even though you've left Nashville, you know, I mean, you're far from giving up. I mean, you moved to a great music town. Tulsa, besides the way it is now, you know, uh, with, you know, the obviously the, the Hall of Fame, the Jazz, Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame and all the things that are there and the incredible musicians like Tommy Crook and Shelby yeah. Eicher and everything. That town has a history of music dating back yeah. 20s with Bob Wills or Milton Brown and the Brownies and, and Kane's Ballroom, which is still there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not I'm three hours from my old buds in Wichita, you know, and there's good music there. Right. So, you know, you're, you're still doing it. And uh, the music is, is where we are. It's not, you know, it's not the town that makes the music. It's the people that make the music. So you, you just made me think of something. Um, and I hope I'm not stepping off your, on your sign off here, but you just oh. made me think of something, a personal note. Um, I'm not sure I would have gotten as stirred up about coming here 
if not for having met and gotten to know you. Whoa. And, and here's why. Um, because hanging out with you, I mean, we, we talked about doing a lesson. I came over to your hotel and, and, you know, we really didn't do a lesson. We just kind of talked. Yeah. And, uh, I got back from there and then I heard you play a couple of nights while you were in Nashville. And I, I've been around a lot of really, really great guitar players. You know, I can go here, Brent Mason, a lot of places so I can go, but you are a guy who did the hard thing the the, the jazz, you know, career thing. Um, and, uh, it just affected me. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to get to. I realize that you say, well, this is a great music town and so on and so forth. Um, who knows what performance opportunities are going to come up for any of us in the new world opening up after the pandemic? I mean, live music, there's a lot more of it here than I would have expected, but it's people playing in restaurants and stuff like that. Um, you made me realize that the music is in here because when I see you play, I mean, you're a really good entertainer. You've learned to um, really get room. You know, you get house. Uh, at least you get the attention of the house and you're, you're really good at that. But when I see you play, um, that night you played with Jack Pearson and stuff, it was in here. That's what you were playing for is to hear that come out of you and to explore and express that not to play the club and make everybody dig me. It's what I call it the disease, the digmies. And, and so I realized in the last couple of years, the music is in here. This is where it's, I've done gigs, man. I've, I really, I, I did play the Astrodome for Christ's sake. You know, uh, I, it isn't about that. I can entertain in front of a crowd and stuff, but it's in here. It's hearing, making that sound happen yourself for yourself. And if somebody else enjoys it, that's great. You know? Um, and you really impacted me that way. When you would sit and play your guitar, you know, just in the hotel room there for me, I could tell that you were just connecting with that. And if nobody was there, you'd still be doing that. So I don't care if there's Broadway. I've played in front of people before. I don't need to go down there. I have more fun and have learned more in this little room in the last year than probably in the five years previous. And, and I think you got my mind okay with that. So I hope that's okay with you. Wow. Yeah. You I know can, what I mean? I can quit now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you've inspired a bunch of people. You know what I mean? You see somebody who gets the satisfaction from it, whether you're, whether there's an audience or not, and you go, oh, okay. He's got a relationship with the music. Mm. And he's got a tool that he's getting that with, you know. So you did that for me. So thanks. Well, thank you, Rusty. And, and you know, I'm, I'm here, sure we're going to hear a lot of great music coming from you. And, uh, a lot of stories and we thank you at guitar wank because you've turned us on to a bunch of people that we're going to follow up with and, and get more cool interviews from. So cool. your legacy continues on. And of course our <laughs> friendship will go forever. And, and remember, you know, 
which guitar you're grabbing because the way the fire comes is fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you got to – I'm, I'm – hmm. I'm going to sell most of them, and then I won't have so much to worry about. Well, you, get, you can get the missus to grab two or three on the way out. Yeah, bullshit. She, she'll, <laughs> she's got to lock the door on me or something. <laughs> she's, very, she's very patient. So Just but, tell her you paid a whole lot of money for them, then she'll grab them. <laughs> she knows. Yeah, right. Son <laughs> of a bitch. No, it's, it's a... But it, Bruce, I hope you and Pam come and, and stay. Um, yeah, man. Hang out. We, we're, we got this beautiful little place here in uh, in Jinx. There's a hot tub. Whoa. Hey, Babe. well, well, the shit's just turned real full of a sudden. No, it's just yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Rusty, got a man, hot tub I- and a, a, a chiropractor. Troy, what a treat talk with you man it's such a pleasure man and um everything bruce said about you is a lie and i'm i'm glad yes. i got the truth about it because uh, <laughs> yeah well you are a pleasure sir and um thank you and we should we should do a repeat and uh, oh i don't know i think you're getting enough complaints this may shut the thing down for no, good no, i think oh. you know the, the three people that listen i'm sure they really dug it but uh i think we should I could talk to you for hours. I think a, a good I, scotch and and a campfire. I think I could just talk to you for days, mate. You got lots of good I, stuff. To as talk I always about. say at the the end of one of my solo gigs, thank you both. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty, a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. You stay healthy and safe. And Bruce, thank you. love you as always. And yeah, uh, yeah. But don't, don't worry about the healthy and safe part. You know, <laughs> yeah, I just you just rated. stay. You just stay yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> thank guys, you, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. All See right, you. thank you, Troy. Good night, wankers. Goodbye, See mate. Bye.